Lucifer Podcast is brought to you by the Cage Club Network. For all things comics, movies, media, music, and more, check out the Cage Club Network. That's cageclub.me. X-Men was a school and not in a sexy things happen at a school way, but in like a, oh, people are supposed to learn something here. They took normal class like history, science, nuclear disarmament, and the long legacy of students that have graced the halls of the Gray Malkin, Xavier, Massachusetts, Jean Grey Academy have long filled our funny pages with excitement. However, sometimes, just sometimes, um, they get a little distracted by the mundanity of it all. And that's kind of what we're here to talk about today. That makes this We Are Krakoa. I'm Nico. I'm Dylan. I'm Kyle. I'm Regina. And I'm Jonah, and we hope you survived this experience, unlike the Conquistador, which, if I may, probably should not have been the name of a villain. Let's not- Hold on. No, no, no. That conquistador, that hat, that sword, his delusional belief that he drank from the fountain of youth and still looks like that. No, I love the conquistador. I just, I don't like the name. (laughs) I I have very interesting feelings about the name conquistador, but that's okay. Yeah, I mean, there's only so many ways you can name a character pillage rape, so it's not the best name. But, you know, it's so fun because when I think about the X-Men as students, I think about like all the different iterations of the X-Men as students, whether it's the original five, where Stan Lee mistakenly believed he could write five teenagers at once, or it's the all new, all different, which, you know, they're not, you know, okay, hold on, rewind. So there's still a school, sort of, during the giant size era, but the only real schoolish thing about it is the danger room. I just want to double check. What was gym like for you guys? (laughs) Well, you know, I had to get, I had to avoid giant piston trying to squish me. You know, I have a very clear memory of playing roller tag in elementary school, and I don't have a very real memory of being a attacked by an imaginary sentinel in elementary school. So I think we might have just gone to different gym situations. But I also want to throw out there that poor, poor Dylan. This episode is centered around the students of the many versions of Xavier's Academy. However, Dylan's favorite academy is nowhere to be seen. Well, that's because we don't need to have 500 stories about it. It happened once and it was glorious. You know, especially when everyone died. did you have a... (laughs) Over and over. Regina, did you have a favorite ex-school or ex-school era? Really, Generation X was my favorite X school. Had most of my favorite newer characters. Nobody died until closer to the end. <laughs> but we got lots of Banshee and Emma together. That was really fun. I actually think their sexual chemistry is one of the most underrated sexual chemistries in the history of the X books. Yes, it was disappointing they didn't actually make a go of it. I, uh, makes me so mad. So Kyle, you mentioned that gym for you involved uh, a lot of near-death experiences growing up. But I think I, when I think about you, Kyle, I kind of think about about like joyful innocence because you're somebody who wants the world to be happy with very little regard for you know you don't really worry about how does Kyle fit into that you're like I just want everyone happy and I don't think any era better represented that hopeful spirit that things could get better than that like middle Bill Sienkiewicz Chris Claremont
Claremont run. And I know it's a shame we're not focusing on it too much, but I do believe there's a possibility you're showing up on Classic Exodus for Podcast to cover that with us. Yeah, I think that that's uh, in my list of things to reread. Oh, I'm so excited. I It's just one of my favorite runs ever, and I'm so excited because there's it's a horror book. It really is. It's horror, but there's a hopefulness. Uh, things can get better. You know, when I think about Rogue versus Proteus in that in that glorious four-part arc, uh, the students of Xavier's have so much, and they are so phenomenal. And, you know, speaking of so much, Beast has so much feats and so much hands. Hank McCoy is so big and delicious and would make the world's best sub. And I think he's just definitely where we should start. Um... <laughs> I once saw somebody in Starbucks who I thought was the literal incarnation of Beast because it was this really, really, really big buff dude, but he had glasses on and was reading a book. And I was like, that's Beast. Jonah, I told you over and over again, honey, you can come up to me in public when you see me. (laughs) You don't wear your glasses in public. No, I do not wear my glasses in public. X-Men Origins Beast was written by Mike Carey. The artist was J.K. Woodard, and the letterer was V.C. Russ Luton. I am such a Mike Carey fanboy. I one time sat with him. Like, my time hitting his signature was over, and everybody was on the line to get to Bendis, who was a few seats down. And at one point, Mike Carey was seriously like, just stand aside for a moment. And we just kept talking. He didn't, because I, I was like, because I've read your Hellblazer, Andrew Lucifer, and your X-Men, and all your X-Men. And like, I am just such a big Mike Carey fanboy and it's just so great that he's here for so much this time. Now, I have to think, Kyle, this might have been your first Mike Carey ever. I think so. Honestly, I'm not too sure. His tenure on X-Men started with X-Men second volume number 188 and would continue through the retitling of that volume as X-Men Legacy through roughly 275. I think of Mike Carey as somebody deftly able to blend humanity, honesty, and like Grant Morrison big science. When I think of a Mike Carey book, I know sure it's going to be a a little verbose because the guy loves words like a lot but it's never going to be less than an emotional experience that helps guide you through the eyes of some character which is why his work on x-men legacy featuring either xavier or rogue as the main character stands to time as some of my all-time favorite work on the genre now dylan i believe you're in the same boat with me where like mike carey can pretty much do no wrong ever agreed every time he's done something with the x-men it's or mutants in general, it's been amazing. I can't think of a time where he's wrote something that I don't absolutely adore. I have made the joke that I don't read Battle of the Atom. I read All New, All Different Dupe, 1 through 5 by Pete Milligan, and then I tack on No More Humans by Mike Carey, and I kind of get what Battle of the Atom was supposed to be. Regina, have you had a lot of experience with the earliest days of the of the five X's? I've read bits and pieces over the years, so I, I'm, I've got a pretty good familiar with where they started. Um, so this was something new <laughs> that I hadn't encountered before. So at least that was interesting. Yeah, you know, and I love that big handsome thickums. He is a, uh, man, he's so cute. He's just so <laughs> cute. I love Beast. So Jonah, as you were the only one of us who can like vaguely claim Beast stats where you're like, no, I'm Jonah and I go to science school and I like school science, right? And you're the one who's most likely to break into a tech lab and steal a prototype. Did this story have like a sense of consistent honesty to you or did this feel like a play-by-play for who Hank was? First of all, bold of you to assume I haven't already broken into a lab to steal stuff. Well, I'm not admitting to anything and nobody can prove it. I said most likely to. Anyway, this story was 
I guess just there? I, I In the grand scheme of the X-Men, I really would have preferred maybe the... I, don't, I feel like... I don't know. I guess I'm just having really conflicted emotions on this issue because I don't know exactly how to feel. I'm not the biggest fan of Beast personality-wise, so having this entire story kind of... Having Beast kind of come off, like, pompous is just kind of, like, not that enjoyable to read. Um, I thought it was kind of cool that he saved his parents by, like, blinding the Conquistador, who ended up just being some tech guy, but I don't know. It was just kind of meh, and I promise you, that's not how high school football works. Yeah, no, unless it's a Rob Schneider movie, that is not how high school football works. Hank immediately being put on the football team is so very, oh look, he gets all of the credit without any of the proving himself, and that is sort of the inherent flaw of so many of these look how it happened magically stories, whether it's somebody's overheard singing and they get to be in a musical, and they're like, oh, you're out, now you're in the musical. Well, a musical is a lot of responsibility and a lot of time, so no, you're not just gonna get it because you sing good. And I feel like for me that is the thing that pulls me the most out of these stories like it's why i'm reading this and i'm like i love you mike carrie but no this is wish fulfillment i i didn't have a problem with that because we do see stuff like that happen so often where somebody with extreme talent is just magically given a role you know on the football team or whatever so that trope didn't bother me so much i didn't really care for the villain but i i feel like beast's parents have always been portrayed as being very accepting him like the other origin stories i've read about him have you know have had him born with massive hands and feet. So out the get-go, they know he's not a normal kid. And they always loved and accepted him for that. So their reaction in this story, I felt was out of character from what I've previously seen from them. And the other thing I got is that Xavier is a massive dick because he just comes in and is like, by the way, I want you to come join my special school and I've erased your knowledge of who you are from everybody you've ever known. Like, what the hell? <laughs> like, I'm going to get back to that in one second but speaking of massive dick i loved him big dicking that dude on the football field <laughs> that shit was hot <laughs> uh, i agree with you on all of your points completely i don't know if his parents did turn coat like that on him in the original but it would have been out of character then too 100 uh, no absolutely i'm totally with you yeah so but i did like the art um i like the way that he specifically is drawn as the giant beast he looks like he's literally going to be the beast that we know and will come to enjoy in the years to come it was fine just those things kind of bother me a little bit yeah for me i i kind of want to go back to the whole xavier wiping beast's existence from everybody's mind and it's it's weird to me because generally in these kinds of stories he just alters their memory so that they these people think that they're just going to a private school whereas here beast completely doesn't exist does Xavier have some kind of special ops team that goes through every single thing to remove pictures and stuff like that? Okay, you know what? I am now just, like, projecting Scott running through the house going, not sure which kid this is. I'm gonna assume it's him when he was kid. Mad in the box. Um, who's baby shoes? Um, probably this guy's that in the box. Optic blasts the box! <laughs> <laughs> to the kitchen. <laughs> Like, I can't imagine anything else now, so thank you. You're welcome. Because it's just Scott going through every room, optic blasting boxes full of memories. Now, is anybody here specifically a Beast fan or not fan? 
I not really. I mean, I... like he was one of maybe not my favorite characters, but one of my fondest characters. And the last 20 years, ever since the Age of Apocalypse, really, it's kind of like he has devolved into somebody I really don't like. So I'm very ambivalent about Beast now. <laughs> I like moments, but I'm with you on that. Like, there's really great moments of Beast across the last 20 years, but there's too much that makes me go, eh, you're a danger. Yeah, that's how I feel too. There's, there's just too many kind of iffy things but there are some good things too so yeah yeah i was gonna say kind of just like what regina i i like beast but he's made some very awful decisions in the past couple of years to make me not care uh it feels like this doesn't really go in line with who i know beast to kind of be and because i feel like beast now is much more about i am a genius and you will know it as opposed to trying to be like i just want to fit in i wonder if his transformation into a blue monster sort of changed his ability to want to just fit in he no longer can so what's the point so i wonder if that's meant to represent development but yeah if i were picking this up off the street and i was like oh i'm kyle i'm about to leave disney world i don't know who x-men are emma frost or beast i know the beast i'm going to pick him up why is he not blue why is he so bashful you know like i would be pretty thrown also do you know what would have thrown me if i had just heard that Iceman came out of the closet and i was really excited Excited, and I found the most recent issue about his origin from two years earlier, and it's all about a girl he likes. <laughs> Iceman has always been such a sexually woman-driven character that it's a central part of his origin at 14 years old that he liked a girl. I don't even know how to talk about this issue in some ways, other than, you know, Phil Noto never stopped drawing. Speaking of which, Regina, I do believe some people made Iceman. Yeah, the X-Men Origins Iceman issue was written by Roberto Aguirre Sacasa. The artist was Phil Noto, and the letterer was Rob Dean. A lot of you might not recognize this, but Roberto actually worked on Marvel Knight's Spider-Man in the early 2000s, which ultimately led him to being the scriptwriter on Spider-Man. Could you get the light on your way out? The musical. <laughs> oh, I'm sorry. Spider-Man, turn off the dark. That's what it is. Spider-Man, turn off the dark. <laughs> And I believe, if I'm not mistaken, uh, you guys might now recognize Roberto as being one of the major contributors to the Archie television universe and comic universe. Oh, really? Oh, yeah. Yeah. This guy is amazing. He's so talented and he's put in his dues. He's been working hard as hell for 30, 40 years and he didn't just break into TV. He fought through comics to get into TV. So I'm a pretty big fan of this guy and I like this issue. I pretty much like anything Phil Noto draws. I feel like, I feel like, um, I don't know how to talk about this issue because I just keep screaming at the page, girl, he's gay. <laughs> Boy, you gay. But like, he looks way too, like I looked at him like, why, why is he like nine years old? This is, this is not okay. Uh, because he was the baby of the team. And that's even part of my problem with the sexualization of this situation he was the baby so like this is before he's even on the team little icy though he's little babito so one of the things that's really interesting is they make an implication that beast gains his powers from his father being exposed to radiation so he like nuked up his sperm and that's how he got beast but iceman doesn't have that <laughs> caveat instead iceman discovered his powers kind of like traumatically okay sure i think about that scene in madrox's first issue where they spank the baby and it becomes two babies <laughs> 
<laughs> and like I think that's pretty traumatic for the people around you but I feel like Iceman's is uniquely traumatic help I'm a snow guy like what do you even do mom I broke the pool filter <laughs> like I just find the whole situation really human and kind of like oh okay okay he's not brilliant and gorgeous and trying to play it down and he's just like a kid with some ice powers but it does seem to me that perhaps while in the 1960s we needed the narrative of the outsider to capture the hearts of people Peter Parker was an outsider we're then told Scott was an orphan we're told Beast had to pretend to be a less smart nerd than he was we're shown that Iceman was the subject of bullying I do perhaps think the original five's narrative is so constructed on the idea that they were freaks and weirdos that at this point, it's actually become almost detrimental to the quality of the storytelling. I don't need to hear that every one of these X-Men was, like, bullied till they used their powers on humans. Yeah, yeah, I definitely agree with that. It's It feels like it's a story that's been played out too many times. Regina, as a mom, I have to assume that bullying stories affect you, like, in a different way than they affect just, you know, an average person. An average person has a self-protective instinct, but, you know, when you hear your child is being bullied for being different it's it's devastating and i wonder how did that and the parents and that narrative how did that come across was there an honesty there or did it feel like it was being written for kids as opposed to adults i thought it was fine the the bigger problem i have with the story is that bobby's parents are reacting to him the way i would have expected these parents to have reacted these bobby's father specifically is known to be a massive dick <laughs> oh my god so, he's the worst so i was very surprised to see how how much he seemed to really care for Bobby in this story and how supportive he was and you know he's like this isn't your fault and I was like who are you <laughs> The bullying thing, you know, that has just that bullying is a backbone of America. We might not like to say that, but bullies get away with a lot of crap. I could easily see this happening anywhere in the United States at any time in the United States. It is awful and terrible, and it does happen at almost any age. And then for Bobby's dad to call the cop, like, oh my God. <laughs> Okay, so now I'm seeing That's the dead. Bobby's dad. <laughs> <laughs> oh my God. Do you also go to that story with the, the being embedded in the politics thing and like how fucking awful his dad yes, was? Yes, Jesus. Oh my God, Regina, you're just, you're like, we're same place right now. <laughs> <laughs> but um, Cyclops coming in, I don't know. It just rubbed me kind of the wrong way. But again, we have Xavier being a dick and saying, you know, I'm going to erase everybody. <laughs> like, dude, no. But yeah, I think by the last page, seeing Bobby feeling happy that he is who he is and who he's going to be. I liked that part. The rest of the story didn't quite mesh for me. Dylan, I feel like Iceman might like, I, do you have an opinion on Iceman? I don't think it's ever come up. And like in a lot of ways, Iceman used to be like the C-list original X-Man, kind of like the Ringo <laughs> Star. So I, I don't know. How do you not have an opinion on Iceman? Uh, it's really funny because I kind of really don't have an opinion on Iceman. His powers are probably one of the powers that I would love to have. Like any kind of power that has something to do with water, I would absolutely love to have. But when it comes to Iceman, I, yeah, he, he for a long time did seem like the least popular out of the original five. And I usually like that, but I just never really liked him, even when he came out. <laughs> 
yeah, when he came out, I was just like, oh, now he's gay. <laughs> Though, let me ask a question. I made a comment about how earlier the bullying kind of like, okay, it's it's too much a part of all of these narratives. But honestly, if they re-released this with a male love interest, and that is why Bobby had to defend himself. Number one, I hope it goes better than the beginning of It Chapter 2. Number two, I think I'd like it. Like, I, I wouldn't be bothered by the extended metaphor of victims and bullies and stuff. Jonah, you're the one most recently out of a 24-7 life is school experience along the lines of high school where everything is determined for you. And you recognize the interplay on a daily basis of the give and take of what you can show and what you can't show. How do you feel Bobby's homosexuality might have affected the narrative of this issue? I actually feel like it would have fit in really well here. Bobby trying to be a little bit more comfortable with himself and having this boy he has a love interest with and then, you know, almost being beaten for it and then have him, like, regress and go back into the closet. I feel like that story would have maybe resonated with people more as opposed to... And giving those villains a little bit more of a something else besides just being general dicks. The Maybe Bobby likes... I don't know. It's... There's a little bit too genericness to this story that I wish there was a little bit more uniqueness to give Bobby something interesting. And not every origin story has to be the most groundbreaking, heart, uh, heartstring tugging, like crying-inducing story. But giving characters should have this unique feel to them that, okay, this is their backstory. I shouldn't be able to interchange any other X-Men with Bobby right now so i when you asked that question i immediately kind of had my hackles go up a lot of his current character growth was him discovering how to be a gay man coming out of the closet so late in his life but jonah's suggestion of him purposely going back into the closet after that experience i could actually get behind that oh then they would just have to update gene outing yep. him i'm with you i think it would be a great twist i just like <laughs> picking on gene <laughs> that's why dylan and i are Aww. Friends. I mean, I will say I like Teen Jean, and I know a lot of people hate her for what she did to Iceman, but first of all, we all need to also remember that even though Jean is a psychic and could probably update herself on how people live, she's still a teenager from the past, and she doesn't know how to treat gay people. <laughs> So she could just be like, uh, you're gay. And like, no, I know that's not what people do nowadays, but she's not from nowadays. I also didn't like, I guess it's maybe just a recurring thing that Bobby's just a dick. I mean, Scott's literally saying, hey, I'm here to save you. And Bobby's like, no, get away, freeze. I'm Elsa and Frozen. Oh my God. Oh my God. I have this meant, I was like, wait, so yeah, I guess if you made them the X-Men, then Bobby would be Elsa. No, I, wouldn't Bobby have to be Olaf? I guess Bobby would have to be. <laughs> Olaf. What's the moose's name? I guess this would be the moose. Sven, okay. Um, so then that would make Jean, Elsa, and I guess fine. Warren can be Anna, but I feel like that's too good for Hashtag him. Hashtag thank because, you, Adim like, I love Kristen Bell with every fiber of my being, and I don't love Beast that much. So I think I would make Jean Anna with fire powers, and Elsa can just keep singing Let It Go in a Corner. <laughs> Guys, for an issue that Jean is not in, I brought her up a lot. That's okay. While 
we're on the topic of Iceman, though, I loved this update to Iceman's origin, like, genuinely. I thought this was a really great way to bring the character forward. You know, you've got the famous over-the-arm yawn move, which, you know, okay, it's a little, huh. But here it's kind of done harmlessly. She's clearly very into it. She clearly was eager to begin having a physical affectionate relationship with him. So while we didn't see the word, yes, I consent, there is a, you know, a strong vibe that it's there, just not getting a dialogue bubble. So then we get to the Iceman page of Origins of Marvel Comics, the X-Men, uh, written by Peter David. And Peter David has famously said that he kind of doesn't keep reading the characters that he wrote after he stops writing them because who they are in his head has internal logic and would do certain things. And when other people write them, they use their version of that character's internal logic. And it can be just honestly difficult for him to read other people's interpretations of characters he's loved, which is, I guess, why he decided to completely omit Iceman's origin from the recent update. Don't get me wrong. I love that he did include Mike Carey's X-Men, where Iceman made out with Mystique while being on a team with, like, Sabretooth, a mastermind, cannonball, cable, and there was, oh, that's pandemic. That's one of my favorite rogue arcs ever. But yeah, uh, this just immediately contradicts everything. That's a lot to unpack there. Um, <laughs> oh, wow. It kind of feels like they altered that origin a bit so that he wasn't in jail or anything, right? Yeah, they, they took the jail out and they made it back that he was about to get uh, lynched. I don't love the phrase lynch mob. You know, it's a tough phrase to use. So they, they do conjure that, meaning to give us that idea that he was about to be a victim. Though, you know, to Jonah's point earlier that he looked like a nine-year-old, uh, little Snowboy, as drawn by Pablo Ramondi, has some fucking forearms. Yeah. Jeez. <laughs> Damn. I mean, he looks a little bit like a white leech, but those forearms. Damn. Um, can, can you guys correct me if I'm wrong on this? But in one of the uh, little text blurbs, it talks about how Bobby always was, like, ready to go into the hero action. After he left the X-Men, he was a new defender and a champion, which, ugh, we can't escape it. But, like, in quarantine forever. I don't feel like that's true. <laughs> I thought Bobby was like, I don't want to be here anymore. I'm going to be a real boy. And then it went to college. So, like, uh, th th that part just confused me because it's like, well, no, Bobby's, like, the one that, like, famously doesn't want to be a hero. He's basically the Dazzler until Dazzler becomes a hero. <laughs> Yes, like over and over. He constantly he became an accountant. Yes. <laughs> also, I kept thinking that that image of gargoyle in the defenders panel was like a Darth Maul mask. Gargoyle is just not an, a member of the Marvel Universe who gets any love. And I, I'm heartbroken by that because I do like Gargoyle. So that's a bummer, but it's nice to see. He seems he seems very powerful. He has, like, a lot of interesting abilities that, like, I'm surprised more people don't want to, like, have him on a team. Yes. It's why he kind of gets relegated to the magic side of the Avengers a lot, because he is so powerful. I do want to comment that I think Ramondi really captured an idea in a single silhouette that I, I just think is gorgeous. The transition of Bobby from Snowman to Iceman in that second panel, you almost have to look at it twice to catch that that's what he's doing, that it's a transition, because it's placed so well with the undulation and the perspective at such an angle where it could just look like shine, but it's actually meant to represent his growing into an adult and I think the simplicity of the refinement of his ability into a single silhouette is a really great way to handle also woof I love him in those little spandex shorts at the bottom <laughs> yes <laughs> also I, I kind of like thumb-faced cable on the bottom little thumb-faced cable he's kind of cute adorable I'm like anybody anybody else be attracted the mark to on his eye is on the wrong side so that bothers me 
I'm just trying to pretend it's a but mirror. But if it was a mirror, then the C that's on Cannonball's chest would be wrong. So, yeah. Actually, that day, Cannonball got dressed in <laughs> Oh, okay. <laughs> well, clunk. Moving forward, I really, I want to touch on that Beast page for a second. Uh, James Asmus, this is the first of his many pages, with Salva Espin, a well-liked X-Men artist, did a number of runs in the 2010s, and I wish I could get a giant wall poster of Beast evolution of man i mean even even the the cat looking beast that's there as, as the main focus like that's the only time i feel like cat looking beast has ever looked amazing oh 100 yeah. percent. i also want to just be like espen thank for the sexy steam <laughs> <laughs> And Moon Knight's still yep. problematic as fuck. I think that this page is a is a very uh, great telling of his of his story. You get the the time with the original five. You get that little mini series that we read earlier where he experiments on himself. Then you do get his evolution, and I'm assuming at the end is where he was in the Avengers at that point in time. So, as a matter of fact, this is a reference to the Secret Avengers, which was a concept picked up off the ground by. Ed Brubaker later handed off to Warren Ellis, who did a number of breathtaking one-shots, some of the best work Ellis has ever done in the Marvel Universe, before handing the reins over to Rick Remender, who would use that to continue his Captain Britain narrative. Jonah, how frequently are you in a lab, and you're reading a book, and you're like, I'm holding this very full beaker with my bare hands? Uh, what I, I just liked about this more is that I feel like besides having the text, the art here tells like a full narrative in the way it progresses. And I feel like a lot of the other pages don't do that as well. So Beast got a really cool page to tell who he was. And listen, Beast, for being a genius, you are doing very poor lab safety. Where are your goggles? Where is your, uh, where's your gloves? Why are you handing, handling a beaker that's smoking with your bare hands? There is too many, there are too many vi violations here that you are a bad scientist, Beast. Why aren't you using those tong things? Yeah. <laughs> Osho will be calling. <laughs> I think it's interesting that here, there is an emphasis put on Beast's musculature, whereas in Origins, he was shown off a little bit more like the kind of like cutie, thick, tubby daddy that he is. And I like the belly, but I think for the sake of a dynamic page that expresses the needs of the character's story, I don't think you could do better than that. You know, if I could just interject real quick. Um, like I said before, I, I love Beast. I love the evolution of his character. It makes sense in a way that would, maybe I wasn't expecting because I did love him so much it's kind of like you know when your baby brother turns out to be like a really terrible person but you can't accept it <laughs> but when you when you go back to when he was experimenting on himself um, I think this page really kind of crystallizes some of this for me that his hubris has been around for a lot longer than I like to think about you know going back to experimenting on himself that's going to foreshadow where we see him going in the future that he knows better than anyone else, that he thinks that he can control things that he can't possibly control. And I think that kind of speaks to where his character has naturally evolved over time. Yeah, you know, Beast is the pinnacle of evolution, and not all evolution is, like, for the better. And I think that's yeah. a really succinct way to look at his evolution in a page. So, okay, I just need to jump back. Last episode, I kind of maybe lost my shit when it turned out there was a Jill Thompson page. And, and then there's an 
another one! So, um, Kitty Pride, written by Chris Yost and Jill Thompson. Uh, you just don't get Jill Thompson drawing superheroes a lot, so when you do, it's Christmas, and, uh, here she does it twice. Kitty Pride page is, to be honest, a little misleading and not my favorite, because it seems to go, like, 1980, 1981, 1982, 1983, 1986, 2010, <laughs> and I think that's a pretty uneven representation of the lady. I would agree because I feel like in between the last two panels, Kitty did a lot of growing up that is skipped because mostly all the panels that are shown are young kid kitty that has no idea what she's doing and then the last one was kitty being the epic woman that she's become and sacrificing herself for the world and this should be marked on someone's calendar that i'm sticking out for kitty Yeah, you know, it's, it's, it, you know, how do I feel like we've occasionally, I've occasionally been like, what are your thoughts on Astonishing X-Men? But we'll save that for later. I, I have so many feels about it and they're mostly good, but a lot of them are once you close the book, you're kind of left going, what did I just read? Anyway, <clears throat> I think a lot of development is missing. Jonah, it actually really disappoints me that where you are in canon you can identify four of these six panels. Yes, I, my my issue with this Kitty page is that it feels like the only reference they really had for Kitty was the Dark Phoenix saga, and then they were like, oh, and then she had this one costume, and then she sacrificed herself for the world. Like, there's... I feel like there's a lot of notable feats that maybe they could have gone into. I, I do want to comment that I think this art uh, is beautiful. I think Kitty looks amazing here. I love her hair. I love everything about the art style. But the actual meat and potatoes and the content of what this is trying to say, I feel like they didn't actually know Kitty. And they were like, oh, uh, what was Kitty in? And they were quickly snapping their fingers. All like, oh, she was in Dark Phoenix Song. And they just... Why was there three panels dedicated to, like, that era and then... I don't know. Uh, also, I probably would have mentioned the other code name she went by. They, no, they, there are, like, some other things that, like, I maybe would have, you know, spoken about. Uh, I actually do have to pose a question. Is Kitty Pride one of, if not the only mutant who really only goes by her actual name? Because nobody really seems to be calling her Shadowcat. <laughs> It depends. Jamie Madrox goes by Madrox. For the most part, Jean goes by Jean Grey. You know, Kitty, just people don't take women as serious as they take men. And there's this notion that women are mercurial and prone to change, but men are just as equally prone to change. And Kitty Pride in 1983, was fighting an immensely uphill battle as a metafictional construct where she was the voice of a young female generation and she was written almost exclusively by men. And they kept giving her these adorable names. Sprite, Ariel, her name is already Kitty. And like, you know, she's a couple of rainbows away from being a Lisa Frank sticker book. <laughs> and they really didn't respect her autonomy and agency as a woman. And they just kept giving her diminutive forms. Even some of her most famous stories, Kitty versus the Angari demon, Kitty gets a dragon. It's these ideas of contrasting her and her innocence with something frightening and confrontational. Yeah, I agree with pretty much everybody else that the... 
story points that are hit on are concentrated in that very early portion of her life. I would have enjoyed seeing a little more after Dark Phoenix. I do really love how they've designed the big drawing of her. Uh, I love how she's coming out of all the other panels. Speaking of striking visuals, I want to turn everybody's attention to favorite ex-scribe Mike Carey's Cannonball page, if for no other reason, that family photo at the top looks almost like Steve Dillon, but it's Bob McLeod, creator of Cannonball. And then the, the one at the bottom where Cannonball is celebratorily hugging two 80s fitness instructors. <laughs> That's what that is, right? He's hugging two aerobics instructors, right? Because those can't be the Hellions. Let's get right? physical. That's not one of the Hellions wearing a headband, looking like he's about to teach you how to pump it out to some crisscross, right? It can't possibly be that Bob McCloud drew the Hellions to look like fitness instructors, right? I feel like one of I mean... <laughs> Listen, for the fashionista that Emma is, she really was like, none of these kids are going to look better than me. I mean, isn't that what the Hellions uniform was? Yeah. Uh, clearly. Clearly. So, okay. Now this is where I'm going to step back and I think I'm going to just turn things over to Dylan because I famously say that you only need two Guthries and you can pretty much kill off the rest, personally. <laughs> so, uh, Dylan, you must have been so happy to see, like, some of them. Uh, yeah. I'm, I'm happy because this actually means that Husk has appeared in this origins of the Marvel Universe X-Men book twice, um, even if it's just tiny little images. I think they may have forgotten a kid, because I think there's ten Guthrie kids. Yeah, there's only nine there. They say there's ten, but there's only nine in that picture, and I counted twice. <laughs> yes, I, I've been thinking that this um, whole time! But, yeah, th there's ten, but in all fairness, I think the tenth one has only ever been mentioned and never shown. Um, but, yeah, I, I love that they show all the Guthries. But, I mean, I think all of the Guthries are important, except for one. And that one is the one with the red wings, whose name I never remember. We don't need him. He doesn't... Yeah, Joshua. I'm trying to think of what his real... Is, Icarus, because he, is it he flies his, I know, but, like, his real name is Jay, isn't it? Josh. Jo Joshua. Yeah, Joshua. Jay. He's Joshua Guthrie. He did. He goes by Jay, because <laughs> he's a cool guy with a guitar and has a lot of feelings and writes songs named after other famous songs at the time. Yeah, anyway, he can die. <laughs> he did. I know, but they brought him back. Like, <laughs> well, unfortunately, yeah, he came back. And like before Krakoa. Yeah, they brought him back during when Gene came oh. back and just no. So dumb. Also, guys, why is Cable's head so small? Why is his muscles so small? Thing right this, time. this is true. Also, hey guys, what's up? Um, Is that like on the bottom in the left-hand corner? Is that like cat's eye? No, I think it's cat's eye. Yeah, I think it's cat's eye. And then is that yes. car? Looks like it's it. Supposed, it's supposed to be the new mutants during Necrotia because. Yeah, the ones from the, ironically, uh, the Mike Carey. Yeah, because Zed of Wells the suits era. that Cannonball and Karma both have on. That's during Necrotia. You know, it's really nice that Sonia Obach is still doing the color for that because that was a run she was pretty involved in. You know, <laughs> this is kind of funny. Regina, for an issue that's not supposed to feature any Daddy Cable, a lot of secret Daddy Cable popping up. There is a lot of Cable. I've been surprised how many times he's been popping up. I guess I shouldn't be because he's a much bigger character than he gets it for. Um, but Agreed. yeah, um, you know, looking at this page, what I really like about what the artist did is they show Sam from his early beginnings when he was very awkward looking. <laughs> And then they <laughs> and then they transition you to becoming who we kind of know him as now, where he's kind of filled out and looks much more conventionally attractive than he was in the beginning. <laughs> I thought that was great. He needs to cut the hair a little bit because he doesn't maintain it properly. He lets it get greasy. 
Uh, what can you expect? He's the guy that comes to the photo shoot with his shirt on backwards. I am surprised that there is not a more more of a reference to the New Mutants. But why is Paige the only Guthrie mutant that doesn't have the ability to fly? Oh, oh, you shouldn't have said that. So this one time, at the end of Gen X number one, Paige just turns into a motherfucking bird. <laughs> what? I'm never going to let this go. It's going to literally be the, the, the single moment in all of Marvel Comics that bothers me the most for the rest of my life. She can only pull off a layer of skin to reveal a different kind of skin below it. And in this one panel, she literally transforms into a fucking bird. That's I, just a weird time in X-Men comics where they then allowed Mystique to start growing tails and she could make wings and... What is she, Maleficent? Oh, what and she could summon that dragon was... form, yeah. <laughs> it, it was a weird time in X-Men comics where they thought shapeshifters meant that they could completely become a shape that is not humanoid at No. All. Anyway... It's just like, wow. it's just weird that <laughs> Sam, Melody, and Jay all have like the ability to fly, and then Paige is just kind of there, like I'm gonna rip my skin off. I just thought it would have been funny if all of them, all of their mutant abilities had something to do with flying, but like that's just me. Kyle, I know that you had a bunch of experience with the earlier Cannonball on that page. It's kind of bizarre then that you missed 20 years, and with the exception of knowing that reforming the New Mutants was how he came back to the X Men, you would have been fine with. I mean, pretty much, I really only recognize two of the panels here. Pretty much, I stopped well before uh, Cable showed up because most of New Mutants wasn't available on Marvel Unlimited. So I have absolutely no idea how any of that stuff happens. Well, let me tell you how his five panels break out. The top panel is from when he was first created in 1984. The second panel is him using his powers in 1984. The third panel is him meeting Cable in... 1989. The next panel is him rejoining the New Mutants in 2008. And then that last panel is supposed okay. to be right now. They gave this guy a drive-by. <laughs> I mean, at least he had he had a larger spread of stories, unlike Kitty. That's true. They were like, Kitty Pride, you only lived this six weeks. That's it. Cannonball. They were like, you get to... Oh, okay, I've got it. So it's sort of like Cannonball got to live sort of like Bucky Barnes. Every couple of years, okay. you just get a couple of days. Well, speaking of people who have real fucked up ages, okay, this Ileana page is so completely misleading, I can't stop being angry at it. Number one, the way the shadows fall, I'm a huge Leonard Kirk fan. Like, I think Leonard Kirk is just one of the best artists working at Marvel. So, I don't know how the shadows fall in a way that make it look like Colossus has, um, mutton chops, but sure does. So it's like, look, she's a little girl with a glass of milk, and then she's a little girl, and then she has a really rough appendectomy, and now she's magic. But if you really Read the, the descriptions. It's sort of like Ileana was a baby. She visited her brother. She got trapped in limbo and bonded her to a mystical soul source. She has since returned as magic. What? Uh, what? Uh, no! She got turned into a baby. She got mutant baby AIDS. Then she died. Then she kind of came back. Then she really came back. But she came back all fucked up like a goat girl. So they had to wait a couple of issues to make her normal again. This is skipping all the best parts. <laughs> but, like, even the parts that they talked about aren't even right. Like, she didn't just go visit her brother. She was kidnapped by Arcade. And she wasn't tortured in that age to her. She was literally in limbo, which is a place that transcends time. 
So she was actually there for seven years. Well, what was seven years for her, but actually turned out to be like two minutes, not even. Like, there were so many things wrong that it just made me upset. I like that we're all really angry about this misrepresentation of Ileana's painfully complex canon. Yeah, the whole page makes it almost seem like she was never an X-Man before. Or, like, even now. It was just like, she was a kid, she got tortured, then she was gone, and then she came and joined the X- No, she was an X-Man for a while. Yeah, there's yeah. a lot of shit here. It's making me they mad! They didn't touch on Inferno, <laughs> they didn't touch on, like, anything. Anything! I know that Magic Story is very convoluted, so I was just sitting here thinking, maybe they just didn't know how to put it on one page. <laughs> so they just basically jumped from her being a kid to being this super badass just for the splash page. So you're saying they just said it was a little too difficult and they took a stepping disc. Basically. <laughs> And from a woman named Magic to, honestly, the magic in the X-Men. It's not hard to get me talking about this character. I remember thinking Jubilee was the coolest fucking thing in the world growing up. I wanted to be her so bad. This young girl that Wolverine trusted no matter what. Like, that meant so much to me. This idea that Wolverine could trust me no matter what, even though I'm just a kid. And I kind of feel like if you don't love Jubilee, you probably just read some weird issues she wasn't focused on in. So many people I know's all-time favorite issues of the X-Men involve Jubilee. And I think that's pretty significant and I guess I really have a few questions for you Dylan so this page I love Riley Brown I think Riley Brown is an amazing penciler I have a Riley Brown Captain America hanging in my office and Marjorie Lou is a goddamn gift to the earth if you're not reading Monstrous you should be I'm looking at this Gen X panel okay it's Jubilee Huss Skin Chamber that puts Sink in the back left Monet in the further back left and that's Penance on the right so I guess I'm just trying to say Mondo got fucked okay. over again Mondo it was like never really a part of the team. I, I you could just draw like a big blob in the back, and people would be like, "Oh, it's Mondo." I actually hate any Generation X fan art that includes Mondo because he was never really a part of the team. So I'm happy they didn't put him in this picture. Fascinating. He really was never a part of the team. He showed up here or there in panels where he wasn't even with them, and then when he did show up, it wasn't him. And then when he finally did show up, the book ended. So yeah. Yeah, and you know that's such a long. It's almost a con they play that it's that first annual that goes like in that like after issue seven or eight or something and after that you don't get more answers on mondo for um yeah and then when they actually do show him for like four or five issues it's not really him (laughs) and then when we finally do see him then like the book ends like two or three issues later uh does anybody else desperately need a no sentinels yes please I need the t-shirt, the belt buckle. I want to say that this page was actually, like, one of my favorites because I feel like it actually did catch all the important parts of Jubilee. Except when she became a vampire. Well, vampire. well, that, and that's just stupid because <laughs> I actually think she was awesome when she was a vampire. I just didn't think it was necessary. Like, she had just been depowered, and they so rarely explore her already existent Asian history. Like, she is specifically a character with an Asian name, Jubilation Lee, and she's always drawn to have Asian features. I know that she's not super tight with her family, but I don't think there's a reason we should constantly be straying away from Jubilee's existing levels of depth in looking for stories for her, instead of always trying to give her something new. Um, I will say, though, and this is actually something that me and Regina already talked about I do like I actually do kind of like that about Jubilee that we don't always need to have hey here's this Asian character like Sunfire or Armor and every story needs to be focused about the fact that they're Asian 
there is Asian Americans that have only ever known their American heritage. So I actually do like that part about Jubilee. I just wish it wasn't such a disproportionate number. I can only think of really two X-Men for whom their heritage as Asians is very important, and they are Sunfire and Arm. True. I absolutely love the Outback panel. In this, the mood that is presented by all of the shadows and the rain and Wolverine hanging off of the uh, X-Crucifix, it's just such a great representation of the end of that era for me. Jubilee is one of the characters I'm very excited to get to. I know that once Kitty moves over to Excalibur, she'll become the new It Girl, and... Basically, what it seems like is that whenever there's a new It Girl, it's Logan has to protect her with his entire life. And otherwise, if you do so much as put a little scratch on her, he will murder you. With the exception of Dazzler, when Dazzler was very short-livedly the It Girl, Logan didn't care so much and she wasn't the It Girl for very long. So I am... Because she's not a child! Um, This is Dazzler in the 80s. She was written with all of the logic of a cheesecake. Some of the It Girls will be. Logan's in his 80s. He has a right. (laughs) (laughs) She's like in her 20s. I got I got to say I really love this page. Um I love her her stance in the last panel. She's holding these little firecrackers. And something I love about Jubilee is that, you know, yes, she is Chinese American, but she is as American as apple pie. She represents a part of Americana that Asian people or people of color don't typically get to be. And I think her and Think together both kind of embody a kind of all-Americanness that minorities don't often get to be. And that's something I really love about both of their characters. So to see her on this page and she's got these little firecrackers and she's got the No Sentinels t-shirt and she's got this giant smile on her face. I just love it. Besides having, I think, the best human name in the Marvelverse, I just think that there's a, there's not much more for me to say because I don't know Jubilee yet, but uh, I am very excited to be like, okay, this is the character that I think a lot of people grew up with, especially with the X-Men cartoon show. So I'm like, okay, bring her on. Our last student we're going to take a look at is Armor with her page by James Asmus and the unbelievably talented Gabriel Hernandez-Walta. Oh my God, he's such a glorious artist. You know, I feel like because Hisako got so much focus so quickly, there's really not a lot to tell that isn't just like, oh, this is her character. She is an X-Man. She goes to Xavier's. She was in Astonishing and now she is Armor. That's it. Yeah. <laughs> nope. That's it. That, but That's a trading card. I love that she was focused or showcased in this book because I feel like this book had a lot of the main it people. Um, I mean, I'm happy that they included her and Pixie in it, to be honest, because they are newer characters that are teenagers. I know there was newer characters like Danger and Phantom X that were showcased in it too, but it's nice that they did include younger characters in it. But Armor is like a force that nobody can stop, but doesn't get very much spotlight. Like she had a spotlight and astonishing for a while but then pixie became the it girl and then armor was just thrown to nowhere so i'm happy that she was in this even though like you said armor's story is basically she showed up she's amazing they basically made her an x-man and graduated her quickly and that's it yeah there isn't more to say there really isn't i um i mean my my main focus on this page is just how beautiful the art is how much her power set just stands out from everything 
and it's it's just such a great visualization of her as a character for me. Armor's another character I don't know anything about outside of her, the one appearance in the current iteration of New Mutants that I've read her in, and I've enjoyed her in that, so she's another character that I'm very excited to get to, Nico has made me aware that he was like, "You, this is a character you're going to love, I think you're going to love her, so I'm excited to get to her. But I feel like, I guess, maybe could someone explain to me if she was just more newer at the time that this came out, because her backstory page feels bare bones, like, because... I, I, I guess maybe I was just like was expecting like one or two sentences more. Yeah, no, that was basically it. She was in Astonishing. They gave her a few issues that introduced her story. And then she was just like the kitty of the team because Kitty was no longer there. And then quickly she was replaced by Pixie. <laughs> Before, no, no, but I like the optimism. Regina, what are your thoughts on Hisaka? Um, I think I've said before, I, I don't like it when mutants have powers that are related to things outside of their X gene. Like, I don't, I don't really like it that Storm has the these magical powers that come from being a priestess and I don't really like it that magic's powers necessarily derive from limbo um I don't like that Nightcrawler has this weird connection to Azazel I just feel like those are being unnecessarily extra like why do we even have mutant powers if you are being powered from other sources um stop yeah like you know, there's other characters that need chances to have their own powers that are not X-Genes, and mutants should just be mutants. And I kind of, when I was introduced to Hisako, I kind of rolled my eyes that her powers are derived from the spirits of her ancestors. Like, was that really necessary? Like, I think it can be important to her character without necessarily connecting it to her powers. But overall, as a character, I really love Hisako. She has shown time and again that she's a very strong character. Um, I love, of course, her relationship with Wolverine. It's like he's got that habit of picking up these these young girls and they just look they just <laughs> <laughs> Logan just can't stop picking young he girls. He can't. Up, huh? But especially since Wolverine has had such a huge influence from Japanese culture, I think that's specific to Hisako in a way that maybe it wasn't for Jubilee or Kitty. So but I, I really do enjoy Hisako. I love her powers. I love her strength. I love how hard she tries to be a good person and to protect the people that she cares about. So, you know, we've got this page and there's not really much to say about her beyond that, but she is a really great character and I've loved everything that she's come out in. You know, growing up, all I ever wanted to do was be a student of Xavier's. I just thought it would have been so cool. Just whatever mutant power, whatever gets me in the door. You know, I'm not picky. I just want to attend. And it's because they made it seem so amazing. Each one of these characters is a fantastically flawed, unique individual that you still want to be just like. And you still want to have the experiences of. It's not just about power. In a lot of ways, it's about getting to be part of that team. It's about the dedication of family and connecting to something bigger than yourself. Speaking of connecting to something bigger than yourself, our continued investigations of the X-Men or origins is going to continue next week but until then kyle where can everybody find you online you can find me on both twitter and instagram at drantis82 dylan where can everybody find you you can find me on facebook at my x-men facebook group that regina helps me admin that is called house of x or you can find me on instagram and twitter at warpath underscore dylan that is warpath underscore d-y-l-a-n regina where can everyone find you you can find me on Twitter and Instagram at the Red Queen of X and on Facebook at the House of Obloquy. Jonah, where can everybody find you? Uh, you can find me living in a mall uh, and then becoming best friends with Wolverine over on Twitter and Instagram at Peak Jonah. 
Nico, where can everybody find you? You guys can find me all over this amazing network, Mondays and Thursdays on Access for Podcast and Tuesdays on HTML. Don't forget to check out the amazing charity we are currently working with. You can find all that information on, over on Twitter at Access for Podcast. You can look at pictures of me over on Instagram, Nico Action, N-I-C-O-A-C-T-I-O-N. And guys, until we come back, keep those mutant lights shining. Bye. 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 What? <laughs> Okay, okay, bye. Bye.